Well, let's pray together. God, we've begun this morning in a heart posture and even a physical posture of humility. Coming before you, God, and saying, despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion, you rule and reign. Despite our best efforts to run away from you, God, you have pursued us relentlessly. Remind us once again of the weight of the sacrifice of the cross today. Remind us once again of the weight of our sin, not that we would leave this place and feel burdened, but we would leave this place knowing that every bit of it has been lifted from our shoulders. As the hymn would say, nailed to the cross, and we bear that weight no more. Be with us, Spirit of God, as we worship and hear from you. In the name of Christ, the people of God, together said, amen. Uh, Welcome, uh, family of God. Welcome, Bayview Glen Church. Welcome, guests, uh, to this Good Friday service as we kind of enter into a time of reverence and worship and humility before the Lord. It probably is already clear to you that we're going to be doing uh, some different things uh, together this morning as as we worship. And as we enter into God's presence, so uh, for those of you who may not be used to kind of different types of worship expressions and, you know, you come to church and it's like, I I want to sing, better yet, I'd like to hear others sing and I don't have to sing, and then I'd like to hear somebody preach and then I'd like to leave. This isn't one of those kinds of services. We're going to walk you through those paces a little bit and and, in times of response, Uh, so I just wanted to give you a heads up for those of you who may have a... Uh, just, you know, just give you a heads up so you know that's coming. So uh, I love the question that Dave asked as we began our time together this morning, and he actually uh, posed it to us in the office this week as we kind of talked uh, through what we were going to be doing this morning. The question is this, what, what's so good about Good Friday? What's so good about Good Friday? Because at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Christ. That indeed is a good day. Uh, In two days, we'll celebrate his resurrection. That will be a good day. But today, this Friday, we remember his death. Why in the world would we call that Good Friday? The Bible tells us that on the Friday following Passover, the religious authorities conspired with the Roman government to have Jesus of Nazareth executed for crimes he did not commit. He was really so many things to so many people. He was a son. Can you believe that? His mother actually present at his crucifixion. He was a friend, a brother, a healer, a mentor, a teacher. But his followers then and his followers now believed then and believe now that Jesus was far more than that. They believed and we believe that Jesus was the Son of God sent to rescue and redeem a lost and fallen world. So get this, on that Friday in the first century, on a hillside just outside of Jerusalem, an innocent man was crucified. But it was more than that. On that Friday, evil and wickedness won. 
and God himself hung on a cross and died. What other faith system commemorates, what other faith system much less celebrates the execution of its founder? What other religion worships a God who submits himself to death at the hands of wicked men? In some languages, this day is called Long Friday. In some, it's called Silent Friday, Sorrowful Friday, Sacred Friday, or Passion Friday. Depending on what background you come from and what your mother tongue is, you may call this day one of those things. But I would submit to you this morning that while those are all appropriate names for today, upon reflection, I am most comfortable with the adjective good to describe this Friday. And today, I wanted us to get a little bit of a visual as to why this Friday is so good. Let's imagine for just a moment that this canvas up on stage represents God's original design for creation. The Bible uses the word shalom to describe this perfect state of being that characterized God's original design. But the Bible translates that word shalom as peace, but understand that shalom is far more than the absence of strife and war. Shalom means beauty. Shalom means rhythm. Shalom means harmony. Shalom is spotless, just like the canvas. It's beautiful. No sin, no shame. No war, no strife. In God's original creation, there was shalom. And then God created human beings and placed them within this perfect world, characterized by shalom, in order to care for it and enjoy the good gifts that God had given. But rather than living within God's shalom, humankind rejected it. God's shalom was generous. We hoarded things for ourselves as an expression of our greed. We simply can't get enough. Our appetite for more is insatiable. You see, God's shalom placed eternal value on each individual as divine image bearers. But we in our lust, place value on individuals based on a warped, second-rate version of sexuality. We begin to see one another not as whole beings loved and created by God, but as disembodied parts meant for pleasure and then to be discarded. God, in his shalom, spoke hope and grace over us. We gossip and criticize We cloak our criticism in whatever disguise is convenient to ease our own conscience. Hey, pray for this person. But that disguise is always a bad one. The reality is we too often tear one another down so that we can feel built up. God sent his son Jesus as a perfect picture of humility. You and I, we're arrogant and prideful. We believe that we are the center of the universe and that God was created for us rather than the other way around. Eventually, in our pride, we forgot that we needed God. And on and on it goes. Envy, strife, violence, hatred. 
sins of omission where we neglect to do the good that we know we should have done. Anger, judgment, jealousy, each one represents a rejection of God's perfect shalom. But understand this, that that our rejection of God's shalom and our sin isn't just bad because the Bible says so. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a bit of a pragmatist. I I kind of like, if it works, great. Listen, God's shalom worked. Creation was cared for. Our needs were met. God gave humanity hope and peace and friendship and rewarding work and great food. Everything we needed. But our sin marred that shalom. And we couldn't stop. We just kept piling it on and on and on. And the corruption got worse and worse. You and I stained what was spotless. We marred what was perfect. We wrecked what was working. And God's shalom seemed irrecoverable. In preparation for this Good Friday, I looked up the word good this week. And you know how they give you a whole bunch of definitions? Here's three. Good means possessing the qualities required for a particular role. Possessing the qualities required for a particular role. So if you said that person was a good teacher, you would mean that they possess the requisite skills, gifts, ability, experience in order to be, uh, in order to fulfill that role as a teacher. Good can also mean satisfying. <clears throat> so you might say that we had a good meeting because it satisfied the desires that we had going into that meeting, or we had a good meal because it satisfied our hunger. Good can mean satisfying. <clears throat> good can also mean thorough. Good can mean thorough. As in, my driveway needs a good salting (laughs) after yesterday's storm. Thorough. And based on those definitions of the word good, the death of Christ on this Good Friday was indeed good. Paul describes the death of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 this way. He says, for our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin, listen close, who knew no sin. Paul is telling us that God the Father gave his son on our behalf, but not just his son, his perfect son, his son who knew no sin. In other words, no one with their own sin is able to die for the sins of others. They've got their own sin to pay for. Jesus, though, he was perfect. So he was able to die for another's Sin. He is good because Jesus possesses the qualities necessary to fulfill a particular role, does he not? The role of a perfect sacrifice. The Bible also tells us that the death of Christ is good because it's satisfying. It's satisfying. That was our second definition of the word good, but it doesn't satisfy us, it satisfies God. Romans 5, 9 would say it this way. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Get this, Paul's talking about the death of Christ. Much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. 
So whereas God was once justifiably angry with us because we stained his perfect shalom. We wrecked it. We messed it up. And he was justifiably angry. How would you feel if someone messed up your perfect creation? Now the death of Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. Hence we sing the hymn here on that cross. As Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. This Friday is good in that the death of Christ satisfies the wrath of God. Finally, the death of Christ was thorough. It was thorough. Jesus didn't just die once for one man. In Romans 6, Hebrews 9, 1 Peter 3, all over, the Bible says that Jesus died once for all men and for all sin. So the death of Christ was good in that it was thorough. When our sin had marred God's perfect shalom, Jesus came and bled and died on a cross that each and every one of those sins could be erased once and for all. In fact, in Isaiah 43 Verse 25, God declares this. Listen to the words of the living God. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sin. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not Remember your sins. That's why this Good Friday is so good. The cross, the blood, the perfect spotless Lamb of God has erased all of your sin. It's gone, hidden forever, remembered no more, separated as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest ocean, completely covered and erased by the cross of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before he went to the cross, he had a meal with his disciples and he used bread and wine as symbols of the sacrifice that he would make on that good Friday. In other words, Jesus gave us, you and me, the church, symbols of remembrance so that we would recall and reflect upon Jesus' good sacrificial work on the cross that erased our sin. We call that symbolic meal communion. And we're going to pause right now and take an opportunity to remember the death of Christ by receiving those elements together. Ushers, if you would prepare and come forward and distribute those elements, the worship team's gonna come back up and lead us in a song called Nothing But the Blood. My invitation to you this morning is that as those elements go by, you would take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice, and you would hold them in your hand and wait for all of us to be served, and we'll receive them together. And as you do that, may this picture that's going on up here on platform remind you and bring to mind all of those things that you and I did to stain God's shalom, all the ways that we ran from him, all the ways that we rejected him. But more than that, 
that you would be reminded of 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess the ways that you rebelled against God, shalom, that he is faithful to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, that that load is no longer yours to bear, that that weight is lifted off your shoulders, that Jesus, the good and perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, went to the cross and gave his body and blood for you and for me. Your sin is erased, and it's remembered no more. As the worship team leads us, I invite you to reflect Pastor Dave is going to come up in a moment and lead us together in receiving the elements, and then we're going to move into the second part of our service. Let's pray together. God, made this picture that Micaiah is painting on stage fix in our mind. You created it perfect, we messed it up, and you sent your son to fix it. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you for your body given for us. God, as we reflect and remember, confess any known sin and enjoy your forgiveness, we prepare our hearts now to receive these elements together. In the name of Christ, God's people together said. If you've been to any number of Good Friday services before. For some of you, this may be your very first time, and that's great. We're, we're glad you're here. We welcome you. For some of you, uh, you've been to a number of Good Friday services uh, before, and, and most Good Friday worship services would stop here, and then we would pray and, and close. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the Bible doesn't stop there. <laughs> So, so, so we can't stop there. It's absolutely true that our sin has been erased by the blood of Christ, even as Micaiah thanks for Isaiah 43, 25 is up there. If you want to jot that down, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions, remembers them no more. Yes, indeed, that's absolutely true. Our sin has been erased, and that makes this Friday a good Friday. But, but the Bible doesn't stop with Jesus erasing sin. Because listen, listen close now. If Jesus only came to erase sin, he could have like parachuted in on Thursday, got a decent night's sleep, went to the cross on Friday, resurrected on Sunday, and then went home to be with the Father Sunday night if he could catch the night flight or on the next morning. But he didn't do that. Jesus lived for 33 years on the planet and demonstrated to us in those years a new way to live. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was spotless. He was beautiful. Does that sound familiar? The perfect embodiment, a walking, living, breathing picture of God's shalom. So yes, he came to erase our sin, but he came to do more than that. He came to replace our sin with God's original design, with God's shalom. Paul says it this way in that passage that we read just a minute ago, 2 Corinthians 5, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, say it with me if you know it, New creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Did you hear it? 
Jesus didn't just come so that the old would pass away. He came so that the old you might be replaced with a new you. He didn't just come to deal with the stains, but to begin a restorative process that would end up replacing the world that we stain with a brand new one characterized by shalom. By way of analogy, let's, let's look at it this way. Poof, I'm gonna hate, I hate to call you out here, buddy, but I'm going to do it. Um, is this your one year? Is this your one year? Uh, last year at the very beginning of our of our Good Friday service, um, just as, as somebody was, like Dave did, to begin the service, come up and just kind of introduce what we were doing, Poove was sitting in that seat right about there, and just as someone came up to introduce the service, Poove stood up and walked out. And I was a little ticked at my friend, you know, like, why would you do that? Poove was on his way to get a kidney transplant. This is today's, today's, today's Poove's one-year anniversary of his kidney transplant today. So... Let's use this analogy to talk about what Jesus has done. It was as if you were born with perfect kidneys that had no defects or no problems. That's not Boof's case, all right? But let's say that was you. Let's say you were born with a heart that had uh, no defects, no problems. Uh, It was perfect, beautiful, spotless, stainless, right? And your lifestyle and and your habits... And the things that you engaged in caused you to to wreck that thing. Again, not the case with Poov, but you're with me, okay? Caused you to wreck that thing. But when you went in for the procedure, the surgeon said to you, look, I'm not just going to fix what's wrong with that organ. I'm going to give you a brand new one. Even though you've messed this one up, even though you're the one who decided to do what you've done to this thing, I'm going to remove the old one and replace it with a brand new one. But check this, the only matching donor I can find is myself. So I'm giving my life to restore yours. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But, But watch this now. Can you believe that God didn't even stop there? Like if I were God, which I'm not, I couldn't have even come up with this. Watch, watch what God does. He keeps going. Now it's not just about erasing sin and replacing it with his original design of shalom. He invites those with a new heart and a new life to join with him now in this ministry of replacement. Back to 2 Corinthians 5. And remember, Bible scholars, just so you don't come up and tell me afterwards that I didn't exegete the passage well, Paul is still talking about the death of Christ here. Stick with me. Stick with me. He's still talking about the death of Christ here. And Paul writes this. All this, all this, and then all this means the death of Christ. It means erasing sin and replacing it with shalom. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and did what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let that sink in. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can you believe this? That Jesus is extending an offer to you and me to join with him in this ministry of replacement. He's entrusting the restorative work of the kingdom to broken folks like you and me. He says, now I've made you whole. You bring wholeness wherever you go. 
Where there was greed, you bring generosity. Where, where there was despair, you bring hope. Where there was poverty, you bring provision. Where there was criticism, you bring encouragement. You're a new creation. Now join with me in this ministry of reconciliation. Join with me in replacing the old with the new. Join with me in bringing my kingdom here and now. Join with me in replacing sin with shalom. Now, our sin being erased makes this Friday good. Replacing it with a new creation, something new, makes this Friday great. But then when God invites us to join with him in this ministry of replacement to bring wholeness and shalom wherever we go, perhaps we should rename this Friday. Far-fetched Friday. <laughs> Fanciful Friday. Fantastic Friday. It's near unbelievable. God has just been that good. Now, you got a card on your way in tonight, I, at least I hope so, with a little nail on it. I didn't even say pull it out, but here you are pulling it out. Look at that. Okay, but you can do that. You can pull it out. Have you been to a Good Friday service be before where, where they have you write your sins on the card and then they nail it to the cross? Anybody been, been to one of those before? I've been to a number of those before. I don't feel like they ever give me a card that's big enough. Do you? It's like, man, I've run out of space here. Do we have, we have some, some kind of digital, like a server that can hold this? Because I need a lot more space than this. But today we're, we're going to do something different with this card. You, you know why? Because here's what I want you to understand. Your sin, writing it and nailing it to the cross, you understand that's already paid for, right? We're done with that. That's past tense. That's over. Jesus has erased your sin with his precious blood. Past tense. It's remembered no more. But what's the work that's not finished? Shalom. The ministry of reconciliation. Replacing what was broken with something new. Bringing wholeness wherever you go. Where there was greed, bringing generosity. Where there was poverty, bringing provision. All of those things. Where there was discouragement, bringing encouragement. Where there was gossip, where you talk negatively behind someone's back. Let's start talking positively about people behind their back. Have you seen her? She is so smart. I don't mean to be a gossip, but she's very intelligent. See how that's different now? That's shalom. And that's what God calls you and I to on this fantastic Friday. So here's my question. How is God calling you to join with him in this ministry of replacement? How is God calling you to bring hope and healing and restoration at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your family? How is God asking you to join him as he replaces the stain with the glory and perfection that is his kingdom, shalom? During the next few moments, uh, Tim and Janice are going to play as we reflect on that question. How is God calling me? And as you do that, I would ask you to just jot those things down on that card. We're going to do something with them here in a minute. Write those things down on, on that card. For me, this is just me because it's hard for me to deal with any more than about two or three tasks at any given time. I would probably just maybe shoot for one word. 
one word. God is calling me generosity, encouragement, kindness, goodness. What, are the, what is that one word that you feel like God has impressed upon your heart this fantastic Friday as you bring his shalom in the world? Perhaps it's just one thing that you're already doing. It's like, you know what, this day I just, I just reaffirm what I know God is already calling me to do in terms of bringing hope and healing and restoration. And when these guys are finished uh, playing and we're finished reflecting and writing things down on that card, ushers are passing out pens, I believe. There should be some pens in the aisle. You can always, uh, if, you, if you don't have anything, you can always just copy your neighbor's card. You know, this isn't school. Just look on your neighbor's card. You can always borrow their pen. You know, whatever you need to do to just jot those things down just so we can write them down this fantastic Friday. God, I know that this is what you're calling me to in terms of, of your bringing your shalom. These guys are going to play. We're going to reflect right on those cards. And then when we're finished... I'm going to call us back together, and as a family, we're going to bring our cards forward in order to kind of complete this illustration that began our service today. I'll give you those instructions here in a moment. For now, reflect on that question and jot maybe just one word, a couple down on that card.